Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And each and every one of us has a contribution to make in the world. It doesn't matter whether it's your home, family, community, or a global stage. What does matter is that we are united in our commitment to serve others through action. Human beings, when we stand in our inner greatness, united in commitment, we are unstoppable. Our commitment to embody our full potential and take action to benefit others is the way to create a world in which we all thrive. This is when transformation occurs. We're going to talk about radical, transformational leadership and how you can source the universal values of dignity, fairness or equity and compassion for strategic design powerful action, and sustained results. I invite you to take a few deep breaths. Bring your awareness into this moment. Open your mind and heart and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Monica Sharma, trained as a physician and epidemiologist. I didn't say that correctly. It came out as a D instead of a G. I don't know how that happens. She's, she's been trained as an epidemiologist. She worked for the United Nations more than 20 years. And currently, she engages worldwide as an international expert and practitioner on leadership development for sustainable and equitable change. Those words are going to be important throughout this hour. You're going to hear a lot about equitable change. She works with United Nations, universities, management institutions, governments, businesses, media, and civil society organizations. She's published and presented over 250 articles in journals and international forums. And now she is the author of this amazing book, I have in my hand right now, Radical Transformational Leadership. And I am so happy to bring Monica and the breadth and depth of her wisdom to you all. So welcome, Monica. Thank you so much, Julie. It's a pleasure to be with you, to be able to share ideas that I know we resonate with. So thank you for inviting me. Oh, you are so welcome and resonate it is. Yes, we have so much in common. And and um, as I prepared for the show again and read through your book again, there were new things that I saw again. So I'm like really excited to bring some of these forward here. But we do have that first traditional question on the show here. And I do like to ask it, even though you were on, I don't know, a year or two ago, I know these answers kind of evolve and shift a little bit with what's going on in, inside of us and, and in the world. So I want to ask you, Monica, if you can share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? For me, all things connected has a descriptor. Today, there are many people who are connected 
and may not be engaged in actions that you and I consider, shall we say, dignified, like killing one another simply because we don't don't value them, you know? So what is it that's connected? So for me, all things connected lies in our oneness, lies in that space where there is no each and other, as Rumi would say, and it is the ability to generate interdependent strategies simply because we are connected. And it has another qualifier. When we are connected, we are not connected out of the energies of domination, out of the energies of I need more. We are connected in that space where we are resonant. And you brought in that word again, So a leadership word is attunement. So when we are in tune with ourselves, our whole self, when we are in tune with other human beings, and when we are in tune with the planet, then we are indeed interconnected. That's what it means to me, Julie. Mm. I love that. Thanks for bringing in that word attune too, and in tune with all of these things. I love that your, um, your response was that it lies in our oneness. And when I picked up your book to review it again, and of course went through the pages highlighting, and I do have a long <laughs> list of questions. I doubt we'll even be able to get to them because we have such great conversation when we just start. But I, I love the idea that the book comes from that oneness. And you started by sharing a quote, and I can't say the name. I'm going to let you say it, but I'm going to read the quote. And then maybe in your response, you can give um, credit to Swami V. It starts with a V. But you, you quoted him in the book and you said, take up, this is what he said, take up one idea, make that one idea your life. Think of it, dream of it, live on that idea. Let the brain, muscles, nerves, every part of your body be full of that idea and just leave every other idea alone. This is the way to success. And number one, it's a beautiful quote for all of our listeners, a good advice, a good um, prescription for our listeners to really find focus and meaning in the work. But for you, you answered that with saying that your idea is our innate oneness manifesting in the world. And I love that, Monica. You you said it gives you a rudder, a rudder to guide you. But how you phrase that, I think, is so important. And it does kind of put this whole conversation of radical transformational leadership um, in a um, coherent field here, a coherent thought. So our innate oneness manifesting in this world. It's so action-oriented, Monica. Tell me how you came up with that and what that really means to you. I'll begin with uh, the first question you asked me. His name is Swami Vivekanand. Thank you. um, He is known as a sage worldwide in the late 1800s, before the turn of 19th century. He came to Chicago, and he was in that interfaith meeting where his seminal speech that began with brothers and sisters, we are all, you know, 
part of the same same um, you know human human beingness deep within. So he's a person who is a person who was about action. He brought to life um, Ramakrishna Paramahansa's uh, philosophy of oneness, of devotion, and he's uh, considered a very revered person in, in many parts of the world, including in the U.S. So his work on interfaith dialogue was far-reaching and was was inspiring for decades to come and is still quoted. So Swami Vivekananda wrote this, but there are a couple of um, undertones in that entire speech, and I would say underlying factors rather than undertones. There's a difference, uh, Julie, between passion that emanates from oneness and the obsession of a zealot. So mm. it's very vital that when we look at what that one idea is, that that one idea does not exclude anyone. Because there are many people with one ideas that emanate from a limited knowing of ourselves, emanate from hatred, emanate from you know, religious side, which is killing in the name of religion. So there, there is... So as long as we can distinguish the passion that emanates from oneness, then Swami Vivekananda's idea of one idea is great. But when that one idea is the passion, and I don't use the word passion there, I use the word obsession. The obsession that my way is the right way, I have this one idea, then the one idea is not a space for unfolding. So so you get the point, right, Julie? It is yeah. about the one idea that emanates where I have no each and other from a oneness. And that's who he was. He worked all his life uh, to bring about that oneness. Today, um, when children come into educational institutions that were set up by him, there is no um, question about where are you from, uh, which state, which nationality, what religion. So it's just being human. All that criteria about just being human. And to me, that is the power of his work and, and how it manifests. So, yeah, and you asked me a second question. Yeah, I love your response of, of what was your one idea, and it was that our innate oneness manifesting in the world and I, I, I see that as your work like you have you are that you are this innate oneness manifesting in the world and creating a lot of work with that but how did you come up with that idea it's really a beautiful profound um, one idea that I, that I share that, yeah uh, Julie I think a lot of the listeners must share that too yeah so there's a part in you me and the listeners that are really connected, interconnected in our deepest selves. And so, you know, to use an Eastern philosophy word, karma yogi, which is not karma as, the, as most people understand it, like the past, karma as in service. So for me, I trained as a physician. For me, serving is my path. 
is my main path. And, and to me, I, I realize that everybody's path is different, but it has a certain texture, if, you, if that's a good way to, to describe it. So the combination of service, which I also learned as I wrote in the book from my father who served, and he served um, to generate justice, to generate well-being, to create a better world for people just after, after our independence. And I learned from my mother the depth of, of spirituality and not that, you know, my father didn't have that or my mother didn't believe in justice. But it's just that, that for me, I grew up in a wonderful way, learning the power of these spaces, the depth in human beings and the, the action that emanates from it. And my mother says that I, I really had a lot of compassion since I was a child. And instead of dampening that, they encouraged that side of me. Instead of calling that, you know, it won't work in the world, they activated that, you know. won't say activate is not the right word, Julie. They supported me in that. And so for me, the threads that we all have, a depth in us that is truly innate, and, and that's what I wrote about. Um, the word radical does not mean politically radical. I took the word from mathematics and what it means is root of. So this work is about touching the root of our being, the root where we are one indeed, where we are from the same soil of this earth. And um, for me, therefore radical. And transformational means that when I activate this deep space, our universal heart of compassion, then I also learn to think differently. My worldviews are different. They are not born out of rigid ideological stances. They emanate from a flow that, that questions, that inquires, and that is dynamic. And that mind born out of this universal oneness um, has a different texture and is willing to create strategies that work for everyone. And then you will say, what's so common in human beings worldwide? Because we see so much hatred in every country, every culture. We see so much exploitation even though we have enough. It almost seems like in a world of abundance, we do not know the difference between fulfilling everyone's needs joyfully and, uh, you know, the, the derailer called greed. I mean, like Gandhi said, like, you know, we have enough for everyone's need and more, but not for everyone's greed. Yeah. Well, you know, so that, that brings me to really the the heart and soul of radical transformational leadership is the universal values that you talk about um and i, I think that to me they they breathe through every page like it, it's beautiful so i'd love to hear you number one speak of those three universal values that you that you write about in the book and and just kind of maybe expand upon each of them a little bit because they are the crux of the action that we're taking right you know these universal values 
are not one that I've invented. It's one that I've seen. So let me begin with the first one, and that is dignity. When I trained as a medical student, I was told that the success of every child, you know, of, of every youth, uh, it depends on how how smart they are, how great their IQ is. And we still tend to value that. Um, but, you know, Daniel Goldman's research with uh, Harvard graduates actually landed me in a totally different space. And what it, what that research showed is that human beings have something that he called emotional quotient rather than intelligence quotient. And he said emotion, and, and in, in the English language, we don't distinguish the emotions that, that emanate from our limbic system and the emotions that emanate from what he calls the high road, that is our higher consciousness. But the ability you, I, you and I and all listeners have, Julie, to be able to tap into that space is actually the biggest predictor of leadership. And he called that space self-awareness. And it's not a mushy, mushy self-awareness. It's very well thought through, very well looked at, and it begins with a healthy sense of self. Now, many people who may be listening to this, this program have either been to a counselor or counsel others or know the value of counseling. Well, one of the core principles of counseling is to be able to have the clients have a healthy sense of self. And this is built on my sense of self-worth, my self-esteem. And to me, this valuable space, being aware of my limits, being aware of what I excel in strengths, being aware of my worth is the cornerstone of self-awareness. And when I take that word from the domain of one-to-one -one interaction into the world of social transformation, into the world of political transformation, the world of business transformation, I use the word dignity. And in my work worldwide, from the prime minister's offices, which the UN had access to for our programs, to grassroots organizations, the sense of self and dignity is the one that allows an embrace. It allows me to know that I don't need to dominate anybody else to have a healthy sense of self. So dignity, irrespective of the actions we may disapprove, off is a cornerstone value. And I know that it may sound strange to many listeners, but I'll just give an example. You know that um, I wrote in the book as well that we sell 3,000 children a day for sex. And these cartels are maintained by, by many other cartels that, that traffic flesh, drugs. And for me, these children are younger than my grandchildren, you know. And, and we worked with a group of commercial sex workers, of pimps, of UN staffers, of police in, in South Asia. 
And using these tools we and templates that I've written about in the book, we actually saw less children. And it is about seeing, it's about a pimp seeing his or her own greatness that allows me to see the incongruence between my actions and who I am deeply. So in this work, we accord dignity to everyone simply because they are human. We may not agree with their actions, as I often have not. So this requires me to uphold dignity in every human being as the potential space for a breakthrough, as the potential to manifest the culture of peace in a world of hatred, in a world of divisions, in a world of segregations. So that's the first one. And it's based on scientific knowledge. It's not a, you know, let's feel good together kind of space. It's, it's rest in very good science. Mm. And I just want to pause for a minute, Monica, because um, what you said at the, toward the very end was really potent when you were talking about that seeing um, the dignity of everyone, of, of really holding the dignity of all people, even when you don't agree with their actions, is that potential space where we can break through, that potential space for growth, for healing. But it's, the, it's that potential that's really important, isn't it? Yeah, and the courage of many of the consciousness workers uh, to call, you know, to be able to call out what's not working, speaking yeah. truth to power. Julie, that's what you and I have spoken about. This is not about consciousness that allows everything to emerge simply because we meditate or something. This is about holding the beauty of the human being along with the courage to not walk past pain, not be apathetic, to be yeah. that that brings me to the next point of, of universal attributes in human beings, which is compassion. So the word compassion is a very strong word. And it, it, is, it comes from the Sanskrit word, which is an ancient language like Latin is to Europe, Sanskrit is to, to India maybe, or many parts of India, not every part. So Sanskrit, uh, there's a word called karuna. And what karuna means is that my universal heart of love has broken open and I'm called to act, what Buddhists call effortless effort. So it's not like I'm struggling. It's a joyful, natural space where I'm called. And the sadness that may come from seeing pain is not an emotional reaction. It is the, the inevitable essence of spirituality and, and, you know, it's just part of our lives and, and who we are. So compassion needs to be combined with fairness and dignity. And to me, compassion is a very strong space. It's a space where I'm called to act. I don't struggle. I just flow because my universal heart which is what you call the interconnected resonance space of oneness that has broken open. 
I'm not afraid to be vulnerable. I'm not afraid of pain. I'm not constantly wanting to be in comfort zones. I'm not soft as a, as like, you know, soft because I just don't have the courage. I'm soft as Karuna, which is really a powerful space. Mm. That's a beautiful explanation. I, I love that. And I, I really appreciate your connection of um, talking about the universal heart with that resonant space where we're all one. That's beautiful too. So the third value then is fairness or equity. Right. You know, we have it as a natural, natural value. I mean, anyone, do you have siblings, Julie? I do. Uh Uh-huh. And so when you were young and your mama or your father they, they sort of had that favorite cake on the table and one of the siblings got a larger slice than the other one. You think the siblings are all clapping for their mom or dad? No. They're saying, Mama, what happened? Why did I get a smaller piece? See, this sense of fairness exists. And I always wondered, what is it in us that we have unleashed a myth the myth of self-interest, because that's what economics often is. Like everyone operates from self-interest. No, they don't. And economic theories that are based on self-interest are so limited, and we know that. But this place of fairness, I was so happy when I read Oxfam's 2015 report. It's named Even It Up. And in that report, they did a, a, they quoted a survey they did in the US. And they said that 92%, Julie, 92% of Americans believe in fairness, the country with such inequities. That, that basically, that's what we know. And so for me, it's something that we have left untapped. We have not strategized to engage people from where they are. We've strategized to impose our ideas of how things should be. And to me, this is the beauty of this work. There is no prescription. It is about getting in touch with who I am in the way I want to, to stand in that space of greatness and to be in tune with myself and others and to be at peace with myself even when times are hard, to be able to build resilience. This is the cornerstone of resilience. So the three values are universal, dignity, equity, and compassion. Beautiful. Well, we're going to talk about um, how to embody these values and that literally our radical transformational leadership is really about the embodiment of these values, not just talking about them, not just understanding them. But we need to take a quick break when we return so much more with Monica Sharma and radical transformational leadership. We'll be right back. Meditation channel, nonstop meditation music, 24 hours a day in the new Empower Radio app. 
music to empower your meditation, help you relax, sleep, or provide a calm background while you work. The Empower Meditation Channel is interruption-free. Listen now with the Empower Radio app, free in the App Store, or listen online at empower.fm. Soothe your soul. Calm your mind. The Empower Meditation Channel. Did you know that 7 in 10 girls believe they are not good enough or don't measure up in some way? I'm Amy Poehler. You may know me from film and television, but I'm also involved off-screen, encouraging young girls to be proud of who they are. Body image breakdowns and the pressure to be perfect often causes a girl's self-esteem to plummet. But by being positive role models, we can change that. The number one wish among girls is for their parents to communicate better with them, including more frequent and more open conversations. So get involved and start talking. Begin a conversation with a girl in your life about the importance of self-esteem. Tell her why she is beautiful and set an example by avoiding negative self-talk. You can make a difference in the lives of girls, and that is no laughing matter. This message was brought to you by American Women in Radio and Television and was made possible through the generous support of the Dove Self-Esteem Fund, working together to raise self-esteem in girls everywhere. To learn more, go to campaignforrealbeauty.com. Thank you for making a difference. This is a guided meditation on parenting. Take this time to breathe deeply and close your eyes. Right now, you're completely in control. Unlike the time you and your son played basketball and you attempted to slam dunk. Or when you tried removing those raccoons from the basement. Concentrate on the soothing sound of my voice. Release the memory of when you wrestled with that beehive in your son's treehouse. Let go of the time you thought that skunk was a cat. Or when you pulled into the garage with your son's bike on top of the car. Deep breaths. Deep breaths. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who don't need perfection. They need you. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Today, you ate Greek yogurt. You took the train. You wondered why people spend so much time reading celebrity blogs. You read a celebrity blog. You planned a workout. You skipped it. You did all the things that one normally does the day before a devastating earthquake shakes the community to the ground. You never know when the day before is the day before. Prepare for tomorrow at ready.gov today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ed Council. Positive Radio for a better life. Thank you for listening to Empower Radio. Now back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and also listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I'm here today with Monica Sharma, author of Radical transformational leadership and you can find out more about the book and monica and all of the good works she's doing on the planet at www.radicallytransform.org again that's radicallytransform.org 
org. Monica, right before the break, you gave us a, a beautiful understanding of these three values. And um, like I said, these are really um, they breathe on every page. They they really inspire um, action, and and you organize your template around this, and really encourage us all to come from this place. But you also talk about how important it is to embody these values. That there's a huge difference between talking about values and embodying them. So, what does this mean for a transformational leader? What what does it mean to embody our values, and can you can you help us understand that and maybe um, maybe even see it very differently in, in our call as a transformational leader? So to begin with, uh, Julie, I just want to reiterate for listeners that this deep space of values is the foundation of the work. And there are two other spaces that must be addressed simultaneously. Second is the way in which we see patterns, because if we don't see patterns, systems and structures as we we, you know, work out of our values, we will have partial responses to the aching planet's problems. So so we need to be able to look at that space of patterns, systems. And the third thing is we need to do something. So it's a three-in-one sort of space that's intertwined like a triple helix, if we could could look at it that way. So because it's intertwined, the embodiment of these values lie in being able to generate strategies that actually address unworkable patterns. And to, to go back and to use some language that I think many listeners may be familiar with, or may not. So the space of oneness that is resonant, we call it an Advaita, a non-dual space. That means where we are one, where there is no separation. In fact, it's the it's really the title of your show and, and all that you deal with, Advaita, that is non-duality. Once I wake up in the morning, or even when I'm asleep, I'm in the dual world in the sense that there are other people. There are things I use that I don't even know where they came from. I don't know about the, the child labor or the children who didn't go to school because they needed to mine Colton, which is part of our electronic devices. So I am I am unaware or choose to be unaware because in today's world, actually, we can be aware. So embodying values means that I'm able to build bridges that are are you know that generate equity and equitable society a thriving planet that i'm able to build bridges where i walk between my non-dual spacious self and the work in the world now now to me um, embodying therefore means that i have a few tools that allow me to reflect so for me meditation in essence, is a practice for focus. Meditation is a practice for stillness. And like my one of my meditation teachers, um, Sokni Rinpoche says, that in order for my wisdom, not my knowledge, but my inner wisdom 
not my understanding, my inner wisdom to emerge. I need space between my thoughts and stillness allows me to get in touch with that. So I want to be able to distinguish the, the process of embodying values. So the process of embodying values is the ability to have my higher consciousness, the high road, and these universal values be able to tame our amygdala hijacks. Meaning, and it's a term that that Daniel Goleman began, you know, as human beings, we really have three brains. We have a reptilian brain, our primitive brain that allows all these functions like bread and survival and hunger and temperature and all to be maintained. It's a rigid brain, but it does incredible functions for us. And then we have our mammalian brain which is which we call the limbic system and all impulses go there first therefore the socialization process a child is subject to the the way in which cultures exclude all become part of our thinking process till we can actually tap into our higher consciousness so my ability to manage my emotional self what is you know regulating my emotional hijacks is a critical part because when we get when we get high strung and emotional we actually don't think as as spaciously as we are capable of you know there there are people who say literally our iq goes down so the first thing about embodying values is to be able to distinguish a few things and we we learned that in the work that we do. And yes, you referred the listeners to a website. That website has limited information because there are many places, Julie, I work in that are not open to everybody. So only the open um, engagements are there. But coming back to embodying values. So distinction is different from definition. Distinction builds choice. So then you and I, Julie, we can choose to be one way. So for example, our logical mind will judge something. Now that judgment generates particular reactions in people. Nobody likes to be judged, but it's part of our, you know, scanning system opinion. But there's another side to us, and we call it discernment, the ability to rest in my oneness and then look at something. And when participants or you and I learn to distinguish these two things in myself, I know that in this moment, I am not embodying my values. I have a little emotional outbreak or whatever. Not that emotions are wrong. They are, they are not wrong. They are just a different space. Then I learn to distinguish when I judge from when I discern. And when I cultivate discernment, build the muscle of being able to distinguish another person's point of view, just because it's a point of view, from another person's perspectives based on universal values, I need to learn how to do that. Then I will promote actions that emanate from those values. So we have about 40 distinctions, four zero that we learn to thread together in this huge tapestry of interconnected action 
for a beautiful humanity to emerge. And and I can give you others. I mean, do we distinguish, for example, a perspective born out of ideology and learn to inquire into that space, ideology that may be, you know, political or something my culture in, you know, instilled. Um, one caste is better than another, one race is better than another, one class is better than another. So all these isms that we've created, racism, casteism, classism, sexism, I can keep going, fundamentalism, and these are all social constructs. So when I embody values, I'm fearless. Not that I don't feel afraid. Fearless means when I I act in, even though I'm afraid, that's what's courage anyway. So the ability then to question and inquire, not with the purpose of just having more intellectual conversations, but from a perspective of wanting to transform that pattern because our karuna, doesn't allow us to just walk past that pain. Then I'm embodying values mm. when I acquire. And then we have other such, um, you know, ways of looking at what we do. I mean, for example, you know, leadership in essence, whether that's at home, parents leading change. I love those commercials you had about parenting. So that too is about deep listening. You know, you brought that up in your commercials. And and whether that's a father or a mother or a girl child or a boy or any gender. So the question is deep listening, but it's also responsible speaking. It's knowing, it's speaking responsibly. It's the ability and courage to transform disempowering narratives we have. So every culture has disempowering narratives. So, for example, in India, many people say, you know, the poor are poor because their karma is bad. And the rich are rich because their karma was good, their last life, and which is which is nothing but, but a myth that has been perpetuated for people to feel guilty for being poor, which is like awful, and not do anything and carry on hoarding money. So when 1% owns most of the wealth of the country, so similarly, there are narratives in this culture, in the U.S., that say, well, in the land of opportunity, how are people not accessing it? Are people lazy? So they're poor. They don't look at what they mean by opportunity. They don't understand that, yes, it has a land with, it is a land with some opportunity. But most kids actually don't have that opportunity of going to a, a, a school where they are supported. Most teachers don't have that opportunity. Most people from communities that are not income rich are unable to access simple things, including healthy food. So for me, it's a myth that people are lazy, therefore they're poor. Mm. So embodying values mean trans transforming these myths, inquiring into myths that keep status quo, that actually keep concentrating money. Why do I use money? I'm not against people having money. Of course, we must have money. And we must have enough money to enjoy ourselves. I'm talking about the money that's 
gained from people through exploitation. I'm talking about money that makes sure that some people are marginalized so that others get it. Yeah. I'm reading a fantastic book. It's called The Weapons of Math Destruction by Kathy O'Neill. And, and it talks about these issues or a book like Winners Take All by Anand. And, and so for me, you know, these issues are surfacing, Julie, and they are here to support the listener, you and I, to be able to, to cultivate new fields of strategy yeah. and new ways in which we can have strategy change our world. Well, you, you have a very strong connection with strategy and results. And I want to talk about results and, and designing differently here in a second. But there's a quote in the book I want to, I want to bring up because I would love to hear you expand on this. You said, sourcing our unique being with a deep knowing of the whole, we design and shape a new reality, new norms, and systems that benefit all. I would love to hear you say, how do we do this, Monica? How do we source our being with a deep knowing of the whole? You know, I love that word. I love the concept. And I would love to hear what you have to say to our listeners. Thank you, Julie. So, you know, I'll, I'll share a few mundane, de- you know, domains of, that we distinguish. And I call it mundane because unless we clarify those spaces, then I I can't build on it. So the first is that there's a difference between a formal system, let's say the formal economic system or the formal justice system, and there's a difference between that and the cultural norms that societies uphold. Because there's an interplay between these two. And and most of us in, in, in... society are not given permission to challenge cultural norms that are unworkable. Some cultural norms are, you know, helpful. For example, there's a cultural norm in India where you wean babies at the age of five months and you introduce them to solid food. Great cultural norm, there's a celebration. But there are cultural norms like dowry, that means I need to bring money to the, the in-laws is a horrific cultural norm. So every culture, including the one in the US and Europe, have positive cultural norms that we can uphold and have cultural norms that are exclusionary and actually exploitative. And we need to be able to identify those. I will not identify them. Listeners have to identify it for themselves, as you do, as I do, because this is not about telling anybody. This is about inquiry that surfaces patterns that we have hitherto kept quiet. And most patterns are invisible. What we see is is the, you know, the, the symptoms show up, but the pattern doesn't show up. It's largely invisible. And, and to me, strategic change requires me to have the courage to make the invisible visible. For example, the Me Too movement. The Me Too movement has served a great purpose of making the invisible visible, of breaking the silence on issues. It's the first step towards strategic action. 
and it needs to source. The next generation movements need to source universal values. They need to know how to use templates that will connect values to strategic action. Because the current templates are very silo and logic oriented, nothing wrong with them, they are just limited. So the first thing is the way to tap into our, our own um, greatness is to distinguish formal systems from cultural norms. And by systems, we include structure. So structures get, you know, the structures that are present because of racism get, get in, you know, just there, or casteism in India, or classism. So there are a lot of people talking about that. The ability to use templates and tools that connect our greatness to creating structural and systems change to transform cultural norms is what this work is about. And there are literally dozens of examples in the book, Judy, where people in, in places of influence, where people with authority and people who have no authority but care deeply have made a difference. Like a woman breaking a cultural norm on, on property ownership of widows. So, so, you know, there is some power in us that we become unstoppable when we truly touch that greatness in us. And when our, when our compassion, our universal heart of love has broken open, then we can, can move forward, you see? Mm. So this strategy requires me to activate my pattern mind. And here is the good news, Julie. When systems thinking became an important issue that today is used widely in every sector with mathematical models and algorithms and systems thinking, there's a particular group of people, physicists, mathematicians, systems thinkers, who, who were, you know, we assumed are the ones who can think systems. That's correct. They can build models, but we all have informal models in our head. And we are all pattern thinkers. And this is one thing that Donella Meadows, who was part of a group in MIT, spoke about. And it's a part we work with very actively. Something I saw long, long before I read about systems. Mm. So we activate that space. And it, it's just part of the human mind. And then they know, people know. But we hide information. So to embody values, we have the courage to be transparent. So all of this shows whether we are embodying values or we are simply talking about values and, and keeping status quo and just continuing with the rhetoric of universal values. Mm. Wow. Um, I'm like in awe and the time is going so fast. I have, I really appreciate weaving all this together by one of the things that I, th I really, when I think of Monica Sharma, I think about results. I, I just really appreciate your commitment to results and sustained change. And that that's what 
radical transformational leadership is really all about. Can you just in maybe three minutes or so here, Monica, talk about sustained change and results and that literally we need to design differently to make a difference? Julie, in the world of rapid change, the only thing that will anchor us through life is our space of oneness and universal values. Mm. Context will change. The skill sets we need will change. So that becomes our our const, our constant is the humanity in us. And then results can occur when I activate my pattern mind and I commit to creating change. So that commitment is part of the emergent self. So for me, yes, it's not results at any cost. Its results are, you know, activities we do, but results are also goals that we change, outcomes that we want for people in an abundant world. And when we use values, when the shifts that we need to create. So in this work, I must know what I want to shift. And those will change as I achieve those or accomplish them with others. So when I when those shifts become normative, then we say there's a paradigm shift and we say we've generated an impact. For example, if we can generate a justice system in every country that is not biased towards any group and that becomes our norm, then we say that, that we've accomplished a shift in outcomes and results, then because of our values, it becomes enduring. So I believe it's possible, Julie, because there are so many people asking the right questions. Yeah, beautiful. Monica, this has been delightful. Thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you for reading this book. It really is. It's bound to be a classic textbook for leaders. It's really incredible. So thank you so much for joining us today and sharing. Thank you too, Julie, for inviting me and sharing what I love to to do and what I wrote about. And yeah, I think that there'll be enough people willing to to learn to have transformational templates for results. Absolutely. And Monica outlines that template in the book for you. There's so much more there. So I encourage you to check it out. Monica Sharma, Radical Transformational Leadership. And now I want to leave you with an excerpt from the book. We are the ones we have been waiting for. Creating new patterns requires that we connect to who we truly are, rising above our fears in order to pursue and realize our vision for dignity, justice, and peace in our lifetime. The most difficult part is our own discipline to practice. It is so easy to fall back into our habitual patterns and continue working in the ways we have been taught. The path is never linear. The solution is never obvious or unique. We will make a difference only when we truly inquire into ourselves and our world, taking it upon ourselves to shift what is not working. Doing anything less would be giving up on ourselves, our families, our communities, our children, and the generations to come. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Remember, together, we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, 
I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.